Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Jimmy's got the vapors, um. everyone. The vapors. The vapors. Have you never heard of the vapors? That's what Southern women get when they're startled. Okay, it's not just like another word for like millennials. (laughs) No, but (laughs) oh, I see. You mean like my my ne'er do well students? (coughs) They're not vaping, are they? No, not my kids. Of course, other people's children. (laughs) Other people's children are vaping. (laughs) Oh, what a world! Isn't that ridiculous? Vaping. Oh. Gosh. <laughs> Do you have um sorry, I've just nice old water and Yeah, Jimmy, stop vaping. Jeez. Oh, We're trying vape. to do a podcast. Um, <laughs> do you have like vape emporiums? Um yes. I can think of maybe one or two, like like smoke shops where you go and you try out the different flavors. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's one just like down the road for me. Mm-hmm. Um I've I've never seen one single person in it. And that's it's how so funny. That's how mine is too. And this is where I learned. So there's a saying that I've learned is only a Chicago saying, um, right? Which is where you see a business that is like stays open forever, but no one's ever in there. Yeah. And the Chicago joke is to say, "Oh, it must be owned by the mob." Um, yeah. But apparently in Denver, because I've made that joke to some people, and they're like, "I don't understand what you mean." <laughs> you don't have a mob in Denver. Apparently not. No, I feel like Denver could have a mob. I mean, I, I, there's no gangster history, as far Let's as I know. Start one. Nah. <laughs> there's plenty of other sorted history to Denver and Colorado, but no mafia. Okay. Well, there you go. There you go. That's your Denver fact for the day. That's that's my Denver fact. Ours would just be a a, a drug cartel front, which okay. I guess is kind of like it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, <laughs> musical theater. Good. We start with a nice, a nice smattering of sin and vice. <laughs> sin and vice today. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hey, podcast fans! It's Future Jimmy here. Uh, just time traveled back uh, to let you know that we actually recorded this podcast on Hades Town um, before. The big announcement that Hades Town is coming to the West End, very excitingly, um, from November the 2nd uh, to the Olivier Theatre. Um, we also recorded it before the announcement that Be More Chill is coming off Broadway um, on August the 9th. Now, this will all make sense as you listen. Uh, but basically, the theme is 
right, that Tommy and I somehow have this innate capability of predicting the future. So if there's, I don't know, if there's a show that you really want revived um, or one that's way out there in the fringes that you want to, to head to your big theatre zone, um, just let us know and we'll cover it because it will inevitably come to life. So there we go. Anyway, enjoy the podcast. Kisses. Will somebody get us another drink? Welcome to Jim and Tomic's Musical Theatre Happy Hour, your weekly podcast with liars, diddling, and limoncello. Ooh, sour. Have you ever had limoncello? I have. I have a friend whose mother makes homemade limoncello. That is not going to be good. It is delicious. <laughs> is it? It's so Are good. Are you sure it's not just lemonade? I, I mean... I didn't have a lot of it, so it might have just been lemonade. Uh-huh. Did it have the burn? If it's got the burn, then you're fine. <laughs> there was a little bit of a burn. Okay, good. Yeah, it's really nice. Ice-cold ice cold limoncello. Oh. Mm-hmm. oh, my. Delicious. Speaking what of, what are you drinking today, Jimmy? Lim- limoncello? No, I'm joking. Um, I am drinking uh, pomegranate juice. Pomegranate juice? Ooh. I am. A solid choice. That's a niche reference. Uh, if you can pull that apart. That that's a tough one. You might have to explain we'll, that one to me later. We'll discuss it. We'll discuss it later. <laughs> I am drinking dandelion wine. Mmm. Which actually sounds like that one out either. <laughs> sounds kind of gross. <laughs> is that in, is that in the show? That's in the show. Say, drinking dandelion oh. wine. Oh, okay. Right now we're living it. Did you like scroll through the whole show just to find? No, a that reference? one it stuck out to me because that I stuck out because I thought to myself, "Can you make wine out of dandelions? That must taste awful." Well, do you, I mean we've got our dandelion and burdock. We've talked about this before, dandelion and burdock. Have we? I don't remember. Yes, uh huh. Over here, and it's it's sort of an aniseedy taste, huh? Soft okay. drink. Yeah. Weird. Mm. <laughs> Adding to the wonderful lists of food in Scotland. Exactly. Hey, that's actually more of an English thing. Thank you very much. Okay. We just have Iron Brew. Oh my gosh, actually, in the hiatus. <laughs> yes. The world has changed. How is the this world This is changed? totally unrelated. Yes. I may cut this out, but I need to discuss it with you. <laughs> so, Tommy, count yourself lucky uh-huh. that you are among the few, the fabulous few, who drank Iron Brew when it was real, authentic. Oh, have they changed Iron... the recipe? They have. So... The UK has now gone into, under this um, sugar tax, mm-hmm. uh, so all like soft drinks would have to pay like a surplus, yeah, uh, if they're above a certain level of sugar. So Iron Brew have changed their recipe. Oh no! It is no longer the Iron Brew that we know and love. Is it like aspartame or something? Or yeah, it's a mixture of sugar and sweeteners now, and it just they're like it tastes the exact same. It doesn't taste the exact same. <laughs> It is different. That's, you know, Jimmy, that's how I felt when they took the cocaine out of Coca-Cola. Right. (laughs) Right. It's just history repeating. Did we not learn? (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. That sounds Um, like a travesty. I mean, it really is actually quite sad because it's a big part of our heart. I mean, you saw when when we drank Iron Brew together. That was a big it was a big, a big thing. solid moment. I felt a tiny yeah. bit I lit Scottish some candles. Sung a hymn. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Oh, man. Yes. So, 
So, what are we talking about today, Tommy? Well, I'll tell you. In fact, I'll ask you because I have a quiz question. Stunning. Uh, it is. It is if the format of this show will never change. <laughs> hmm. Oh man. Um, the folk singer author of this, our next musical, has shared studio space with friend of the podcast Dave Malloy, and her artistic connections clearly reflect this. What show could we possibly be talking about, Jimmy? Well, I have a feeling that that person is Aeneas Mitchell. <gasps> and I have a feeling that the show is Hades Time. Once upon a time there was a railroad line Don't ask where, brother, don't ask where It was a road to hell Oh, it was hard times It was a world of gods And men It's an old song the same and they was always singing in the back of your mind everybody meet the face now on the road to hell there was a railroad station and a man with feathers on his feet who could help you to your final destination Mr. Hermes that's me. It's a sad song. Sad song. It's a sad tense tragedy. It's a sad song. Sad song. Singing anyway. Hades Town. <laughs> yeah, man. I would not be. I, you know, we're maybe a couple months behind on the hype train, but this is a deeper cut. I don't think it's on a lot of people's radars. Yeah, I mean, certainly not over here. Yeah, I would say um, if you're maybe in New York, maybe in, this, in New York. If yeah. you're in Edmonton, Canada, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, but I feel like it's not. Yeah, like you say, it's not caught the. Yeah, let's say something like like Heather said, or like even um, what's that? Be more chill. Right, it had its like explosion. Yeah, it's not had that like explosion no. moment. Do you know what I mean? No, there's certainly there's only like twenty tumblers right. devoted to it. There's not four thousand. <laughs> yeah, they don't. I don't think they quite have a, a groupy name for themselves yet. Mm-hmm. We haven't we haven't reached that level of fandom yet. <laughs> unless uh, unless uh, I didn't read. Deep I know. Enough. I think we're about to be corrected <laughs> in about two minutes' time. By the way. But Ayo, um, so yeah, tell us all about it. So for those of you who haven't heard about Hades Town, um, it's got musical lyrics and book by Aeneas Mitchell. Um, I'm trying yes, real indeed. hard to say her name the, correctly the whole time. Yep, she's you got will. A, I believe in you, Aeneas Mitchell. Um, I Aeneas. think crossed our radar because the productions have been directed by the wonderful Rachel Chavkin. Of yes, indeed. Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 fame. Yes, um, and it, so it's actually based on a concept album by Ines Mitchell that was released, I want to say, in like 
2015. Is oh, that right? Uh, well, I know she. This show has a long history. I think it does, doesn't it? I think she started workshopping what what became the concept album in like I want to say like 2005 or 2006. Um, it was it, 2010. There the we go. Album came out in 2010. She had been working yep. on it for quite some time. Um, <clears throat> yep. And it's a it's a folk opera. Um, Anais Mitchell is a is a folk song writer and has you know a mm-hmm. couple other albums before this so it's coming to the musical theater world in kind of a different direction um yeah but so then the concept album transferred to or transformed into a uh, off-broadway production at the new york theater workshop in 2016 um, yes. and then just finished up what they were calling a pre-broadway tryout in edmonton canada in 2017 at the citadel theater yeah, and again, both directed by Rachel Chavkin, mm-hmm. as far as I know. Um, and yeah, I think when Rachel Chavkin came in, she she was one of the big ones that was like, let's make this a piece of theatre as yeah. opposed to just uh, a concept album. So she was a big champion of that. And then they released the album, like a live recording mm-hmm. of most of the show, um, which was released in 2017. Yeah. Which is when we were supposed to record this podcast. So. <laughs> oh, how, how long ago that was. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so what's what's the show about, Jimmy? So this show is based... And now, Jimmy's very excited. <laughs> Why? Jimmy's very excited because, um, little known fact about Jimmy, uh-huh. uh, Jimmy, since the age of about six, has been obsessed with Greek mythology. <laughs> like, damn dirty obsessed. Um, and this musical is based on one of my favourite myths. So it's based on the myth uh, of Orpheus and Eurydice. Mm-hmm. Um, who were two lovers, um, and Eurydice, well, this, this is where it kind of gets tricky. So in the original myth, Eurydice mm-hmm. is killed. In this one, it's a little bit different. It's a little more complex, um, yeah. Yeah, a little bit more complex. Um, in this uh, musical, in this adaptation, she decides to go down um, into the underworld, mm-hmm. uh, and then Orpheus, obviously wanting to be with her, she doesn't, he doesn't want her to be dead, Uh goes after her um, and tries to bring her back to Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and along the way, lots of other stuff. But that's that's the, the that's very the, short of it. Of the base myth. And then yeah. Hadestown itself kind of resets this myth in a, oh, like, mid-America, depression-era, country-feel music sound, also with, like, a post-apocalyptic vibe to it. Yeah, um, it's got that set. It's definitely a where are we? Who knows? It doesn't yeah, matter. Wasteland. Yeah. Like. yeah, it does. It does um, ring very true of something like Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, in mm-hmm. maybe time period ish or feel at least. Yeah, and, and certainly yeah. with the the myth backing it all. Um, For sure, um, and so our kind of two other key characters are mm-hmm. the character of Hades, mm-hmm. um, who's obviously the Lord of the Underworld, and his wife. Uh, Persephone mm-hmm. um, and it, you're kind of seeing a mirroring of the two couples relationships and how they relate to each other yeah um, it, it is we've also yeah it's interesting to see the the two couples because that is a very like core musical theater trope like the older couple For and sure. the younger couple and the play between them but to yeah. see it in this kind of Greek myth motif I don't know exactly anyway. and it's it's something that's never you know in terms of the actual myth itself it's never it's not a part of the myth you don't right. say you know, I mean, it's the Hades and Persephone are their their total own bag. Exactly. Um, 
and they're both involved in the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, but they're not key to it. Not as, as strongly they as they are in this adaptation. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So shall we delve on delve on down into Hades Town, Tommy? Let's, let's do it. Here we go. Hound dog howl and a whistle blow. Train come a rolling clickety clang. Nobody knows where that old train goes. Those who go, they don't come back. They're going way down. Hades Town, way down under the ground. Wow, it's both hot and bright. <laughs> Man, it sounds like some of the script writing in this show. Um, oh, burn. shots fired. Pew, no, pew, sorry, pew, pew. those moments are far and in between. Yeah, um, exactly. So, okay. we mentioned briefly, but it's worth delving into that this show has been around for a long time compared to how short of a time it's been around for. Wow, that didn't make any sense. Let me try this again. This show has been around for a long time compared to how long it's been around for. The concept of this show... That, that was like a lyric. <laughs> <laughs> Mitchell's been working on this show for a long time. I see what you mean. Yep, I'm with you. It, compared to how little time it's existed in it's actually existed. like our musical theater, I don't know, yes. orbit. Yes. Um, and... You, so it exists in it makes it really difficult to um, analyze this show because it has existed in about in a bunch of different incarnations. You can listen to the live cast recording, which is the New York Theater Workshop cast recording. You can yep. listen to promo footage of the 2017 Citadel production. You can listen to Mitchell's concept album, which is decidedly a folk album and not a musical theater world. You can listen to live concert recordings from pre-2010, where it's just a bunch of people yep. sitting around in a concert venue. And they all have little changes and differences um, that make it, at least for me, complicated and complex to discuss because it's hard to know yeah. which version to talk about <clears throat> exactly i would say though i think for the purposes of the podcast mm-hmm. we'll probably be mostly focusing on the actual musical the thing that ended up on the stage right um but it's definitely it's definitely important in that sense of like i know where i've been to yeah to look back and, and see some of the origins well but i think actually mm-hmm. what's path i think is quite interesting because what it's done is it's created of like lots of different pockets of fan bases yes yes like which is really really interesting right like there's the the people who enjoy uh mitchell's previous work and there's people who enjoy like folk music but then there's people who saw the off-broadway production and then there's people from canada who saw the pre-broadway production and they yeah. all kind of spin in these separate circles and then there's the the great comet crowd who are tuning in because chavkin and a bunch of her creative team are on board exactly and then there's exactly. the spider-man turn off the dark crowd who are tuning in because uh reeve carney and tv and um uh, what's Hayden's Patrick Page? Patrick Page are all in this of yeah. Spider Man Turn Off the Dark Fame. So the all three of them, all right. three of the Spider Spideys. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it is weird. It's like everyone. There's a bunch of different groups interested in this show. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like that. Like again, that's quite unique to the Broadway sphere. Like obviously, mm. you can be a big fan of a composer, say, and then find it because of that. But very rarely would you kind of come from the music the music world right. into the theater world and appreciate it um yeah that way because even i feel like with jukebox musicals right do you know what i mean you're not going to be 
you know, big mad Avastan and then be, become obsessed with Mamma Mia by default. Right. Whereas this feels like it's a natural. Yeah. Well, I wonder segue. if this, if we're seeing the pendulum swing back, because you have something like Waitress with Sarah Bareilles, or yeah. you have something. I feel like there's a bunch of these, and I can't think of them right now. Well, I guess like American Idiot as well. That's relatively yeah. recent, right? Um, or even but to be honest, like Nine to Five. Um, which certainly we have the movie backing and things like that. But like, if you like Dolly Parton, you're going to like nine to five. Um, yeah, true. But you know, those are, I think coming more from the pop music world. Although I'm sure, you know, Dolly Parton is decidedly country and Sarah Bareilles has her own sound, but this is the folk music world has a following like the musical theater world does. Definitely. And, and I think as well, actually, because I'm quite a big folk fan and that's mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that I've been brought up on. Um, and I think the folk circle really appreciates theatre and like intelligent writing and yeah. lyric. You know, I mean, they're not really in it for this like catchy hook. Right. That isn't necessarily why they come to see a show. They come to see it for the, the almost storytelling aspect. Right, exactly. That comes uh, with a really good folk concert. Yeah. Um, so I can see, again, I can see this natural sort of path yeah well, um, and it, it's quite it's quite smart and it does seem to inform the story in a way that i think you know if we're talking about concept albums coming from outside the musical theater world in a way that i think like well i don't know i i i, I am tossing um hades town around in my head alongside the who's tommy because it took yeah. a, a similar artistic progression from Absolutely. concept album not intended to be a musical per se to musical um and like where tommy is a rock opera and a lot of aspects of the story are Mm -hmm. informed by the genre of the music and i feel similarly about hadestown that a lot of like how like not just how the story is told but what the story is have that folk flavor it's a I, i i think it's a good thing it's like how um you know, Sondheim talks about finding the right genre to fit the story you're telling. That's a thing yeah. that Aaron's and Flaherty do ridiculously well all the time. Right. Of like exactly. tuning their music to fit the story. It's just one more step because the folk tradition has, you know, a, a bunch of trappings attached to it. Absolutely. Um, one that just came, came to my head there was. Um, or one that doesn't exist yet that I'm surprised that doesn't exist mm-hmm. in terms of concept album to uh, musical theatre yeah. is um, The Wall by Pink Floyd. Oh, yeah. That um, is interesting. Because that obviously was made into a film. Right. Um, but then but, it hasn't made it to the stage. Yeah, I find that quite strange. I mean, I don't know what... Yeah. I wonder if anyone's ever done that out there. I've never yeah. actually researched that. So uh, I, I have this question for you, Jimmy, because I think it's something I, I struggle with developing my own opinion on but how do you feel about you know for lack of a better term outsiders coming into our our musical theater our musical world right the others yeah um yeah i mean i'm obviously totally open to because you know well you know i'm a big music fan right do you know what i mean and i have a lot of you know, I would equal passion for music and musical theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and my really, my only remit is come in and do it well. Yeah. Like, and 
we're of the same mind that we love when people play with a genre and right. they try and transform it in some way. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the easiest ways that we can get that is from, like you say, so-called outsiders. Right. Because um, even someone like Dave Malloy, mm-hmm. you know, he's he was a Dylan head. You know, he was a... Mm-hmm. Um, Thelonious Monk he he comes from a, a jazz world right grew, growing up in Brooklyn and looking at theater yeah and looking at storytelling not necessarily being like I love a chorus line I can't wait to put that you know what I mean right like, yeah I guess I would draw a line between the two of them mm-hmm. between Aeneas and Dave um yeah in like their primary media began as theater and I know yeah. that that's like, you know, we got here first is a false <laughs> argument. Um, yeah. But I think of, you know, someone like Lin-Manuel Miranda, um, yeah. you know, Pesek and Paul, um, like coming to the genre from the beginning, I think yeah. sets you up in a different way than entering the genre from a previous musical world. Mm-hmm. Um, and. What do you mean by what do you mean by sets you up? Like what kind of I think advantages I, are you talking about? Here? I see the differences demonstrated in in this show between the 2010 concept album and the 2017 mm-hmm. live recording. Um, mm-hmm. And not that the tw- the 2010 concept album was never set up to be a musical. So exactly, yeah. You you can't qualify these things, or you you know it's apples and oranges per se. Um, yep. But like to see the additions that were made for the sake of musical theater storytelling in the live recording that Mm -hmm. sometimes in the tiniest ways, and I think this is what they're tuning and why they're doing some out-of-town tryouts, but seem shoehorned in, seem on top of. um, And it's impossible to know if that's my preconceived notion of seeing what it looked like before. Like, would I have the same comment if I didn't know what it was? beforehand um but it still reads to me that way like some of the character introduction and how some of the like less than musical passages seem more pedestrian or simplistic and aren't Mm -hmm. as incorporated into the music as some of you know the music is um yeah where i think that or i suspect or maybe hypothesize that that sort of thing may come more effortlessly to someone who approaches musical theater from the get-go and is incorporating yeah. that storytelling into the song singing from the beginning. Yeah. Well, I think cause with, with Hadestown in particular, obviously it's uh, theatricalizing. Right. Wow. Um, <laughs> came from, it came from Rachel Chavkin. You know, she came in and brought these ideas for 15 different songs yeah. onto the table to yeah. be like, this is what this needs in order to tell a story, to, right. to tell this cohesive story. Right. Obviously, Rachel Chavkin, she's an incredible director, and she's very aware of good storytelling yeah. um, and, and what things need. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's Aeneas Mitchell who's credited for the book. Right. So, you know, I mean, I, I do agree with you that there's there will definitely be um, issues. And I think it often will lie with the book. For mm-hmm. example, if you look at something like American Idiot, mm-hmm. um you know the music is great and very very powerful um but the book itself it kind of hobbles a bit absolutely much yeah. like you know i mean it's the, I, that's not why you're going to see it right that's not why you're going to yeah. see that show yeah um but kind of to be honest though to give hades town its dues 
I think, and we'll we'll talk about this when we go into the, you know the actual story of it in a bit. Mm. But um, I think from the get go, you can tell Aeneas is set out to tell this myth, not mm. just by describing the myth. She's really she's aiming to tell a particular story and pick out right particular things. Yeah, um, which I think you you have to give her plaudits for because yeah. that's you you don't you don't often get that in any sort of music and even even concept albums you're t- you're normally telling a story you've got characters that come back but right. the kind of intricacy of these themes um mm-hmm. that go all the way through i yeah. think are really really yeah special well it, it is very clearly hades town the musical not orpheus and eurydice the musical absolutely it is a key it is a new story very heavily inspired by the myth not yeah. a musical retelling of the myth absolutely absolutely um so yeah to, to cut a long story short what i feel about outsiders doing musicals yeah as long as long as you do it well yeah you're more than welcome and please do because sometimes it gets a little bit <laughs> boring yes and a little bit i don't know and we're in danger of this all the time but uber intellectual and gatekeeper-y mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. definitely um and it's you know and i do i really do think that you know people like dave malloy um like aeneas mitchell mm-hmm. i want to think of someone that isn't related to either of them right um but i can't just now <laughs> it's i mean it, <laughs> it is i think with the two of them we are we are on a, a new precipice of musical theater genre that is it's definitely a place that i'm very excited about yeah you know what i mean that's it's something there that i think is really yeah cool. and they're they're definitely capitalizing on i don't i don't think it's a, a big cohort right now but no. i want it to be <laughs> absolutely and i think a lot of um Broadway theatre goers, goers and musical theatre fans would agree with us. Yeah. You know, um, obviously the way that Comet ended up. Right. I mean, would say I, otherwise, but... I, I get more nervous about it every day. I mean, take a look at Margaritaville right now. Like, right. You know, uh, at like, I want more Dave Malloy's and I, and Anais I know. Mitchell's. I just want more of them. And I mean, yeah. Jimmy Buffett, glad you can have season. your restaurant. Like, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. You just have to glance at this season and be like, mm, <gasps> I'm proud. Are you proud of our, our genre? It makes my stomach turn. Um, yeah. But that's for another but podcast. That's not why we're here. <laughs> King of diamonds. King of spades. Hades was king of a kingdom of dirt. Miners of mine. They bowed down to Hades who gave them work And they bowed down to Hades who made them sweat Who paid them wages and set them about Digging and dredging and dredging 
what, what, what's your experience with Greek mythology? <laughs> um, but, and I don't Have know. you seen Disney's Hercules? And <laughs> <laughs> with the Gladden Gladiator? Um, mm-hmm. I find Greek mythology fascinating. It's definitely, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's pretty well studied just in American elementary curriculum. Is that the same across the sea? Uh, not really, no. Okay. Um, there's no... No, we do we do Egypt, we do Egypt big, yeah. but we don't really do. No, we do Greek. Uh, Greek and Roman mythology, and you know the differences and similarities between the two. Like at my um, at my Chicago school, there was a uh, I think it was fourth grade Greek play every year, and it was wonderful. Wow, yeah, it was great. The I whole absolutely love that. The whole class, and like they'd split into groups, and you know they'd be like, "I am <laughs> Zeus, Thunderbolt," and like. Oh, so you're not, they're not like doing Medea. No, 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 no. <laughs> they, they are doing their own age appropriate adaptations of Greek mythology. Um, okay. That's which was good. always I'm funny probably, because every. Like, wow. Well, and they're so violent and naughty and like filled with uh-huh. sex. And so they would have these moments would be like, and then the two got married. And suddenly there was a baby. Um, <laughs> which, like, it is so funny to watch, like. I fourth graders do things like that um but that's brilliant that's really really good because we um the only time i did any sort of greek uh-huh. theater was when um we took a drama trip out to greece oh. um and we did a bit of a module there but it wasn't you know that wasn't part of the curriculum yeah no i, um, I think which it's is absurd because come on it's pretty heavy here like i would not be surprised if Greek myths is one of those facts that every adult has forgotten. Like at some point in your life in America, you've been exposed to this and have proximal knowledge of some of the Greek stories. Um, And then certainly being a theater major, you know, you start theater history with Greek and Roman theater. Right. As you should. As you should. But we do not over here. Get that changed, education (laughs) people. Um, But yeah, so I I am obsessed. Mm -hmm. We could do in our club at primary seven. I don't know what that is for you guys. Just before you go into middle school, what would you, what age would you be? Okay, so maybe like like 10. 10, yeah. Yeah. So we get to do this thing um, where you get to choose your own like project. Uh um, And you get to do all your research and map it all out. So I did mine on Greek mythology uh-huh. and it was literally it's my magnum opus you know it's <laughs> so been downhill ever since absolutely i totally <laughs> peaked um anyway i've always been obsessed and in particular with this one mm-hmm. um i read you know i mean i was re- reading about it when i was probably far too young to understand anything mm-hmm. but it just seemed so beautiful and yeah. um just such a nice interesting story yeah um that I was just really, really taken. Well, um, I, I, and I, I'm tell me if I'm remembering my Greek history correctly, but I believe the tale of Orphe- Orpheus and Eurydice is one of the earliest surviving like tragedies. Yeah, it's actually quite interesting. See, in terms of its origins, um, it's it's actually not. Nobody really knows where it came from. Nobody really knows who Orpheus was exactly. Uh-huh. He pops up a couple of times. Um, in a couple of different settings. So some people say um, that he was one of the people who worshipped Dionysus okay. um, and followed in that band. Um, other people say that he was the son of one of the muses, Calliope. Okay. Um, and that explains why he's so gifted with music. You know, right. there's there's lots of different origin stories for Orpheus. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that sticks is this story with uh, right. Eurydice. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I think I find it really, really interesting. Um, the diversion mm-hmm. that Aeneas has taken with this story, yeah. Um, and it, ty- you know, being a, a a Greek mythology purist like myself, <laughs> um, I, I'm a little bit like ah, oh, because the the kind of idea uh-huh. of their love is that it is very strong, mm-hmm. um, and it's you know kind of this love for the ages, right? Kind of um, they set it up in the exact same way that it's set up in the myth, right? Um, you know, he charms her. She's a, a Eurydice, which I don't think actually gets talked about much in the musical, but mm-hmm. she's a, um, a, a, like a wood nymph. Yes. Um, I don't know. Do, 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 I think, that's... no, and the musical bl- blurs the lines between mythical creature and person all the mm. way through, especially mm-hmm. with like um, Hades. Um, yeah. And even like the uh, fates, like the question is, are, are these fantasyful peoples but i think that's further down in our list of things to talk about but i don't know if they talk uh, about that i can't remember i mean obviously she has the song flowers in the second act which is you know very right nymphy. um but anyway so she's stunningly beautiful and she's a nymph mm-hmm. um and orpheus is like i can get you because that's how talented i am and he's uh-huh. very correct the man could make stones dance yeah can you do that <laughs> if i throw him hard enough um, right um and that's that's one of the reasons how they explain standing stones as well. So he, they would dance, and then huh. when he would stop playing, they would just fall in a circle. Isn't that just great? That is, um, yeah, that's wonderful. But so, so the the big intro change between the yes. the canonical myth, let's say, and yes. Hades Town is that in the myth, Eurydice is bitten by a what a serpent, a snake, um, um, yeah, venomous snake, and dies um, was... tragically and accidentally. Yes, uh-huh. and that is where the the huge tragedy comes from, and that's where Orpheus is like, "Oh no, my love, I can't be without her," because it was on their wedding day mm-hmm. that she died. She was running away from uh, one of Apollo's sons called Aristeus, mm-hmm. um, and so that's you know just to amp up that really Greek tragic feeling right. of yeah, oh, she's like dead oh, what snake. an accident. Whereas um, in Hades Town, she has perhaps a little more agency over herself. Exactly. Which, you know, in our storytelling and the things that we love, that's really great. Yeah. Um, And the idea is that, you know, he's told her, he's kind of shown her this world through his music and being Mm -hmm. like, isn't the world beautiful? Yeah. Um, And as the winter creeps in, she's like, honey, that music don't pay no bills. Yeah. Um, So she kind of goes off in search of something more. Right. Yeah. and finds Hades, who is also in search of something more, someone who will kind of appreciate him a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and they sort of find each other, and he charms her yeah. into going with him into the underworld. It, it is interesting in a bunch of the reviews I was paging through, both of the New York Theatre Workshop production and the Citadel production, that yeah. one of the things that comes up a lot are is the implied relationship between Orpheus and Eurydice, and that either it somehow doesn't ring strong enough for you to care or like you don't understand why Orpheus would follow her to the underworld because it doesn't seem like he loved her that much until she was gone. Um, yeah. And that only pops up here and there in a couple reviews and seems, you know, I don't know, f- fixable somehow. Um, I think it's, it is tricky because all you really do, all you really see, <clears throat> excuse me, is him wooing her. Right. Um, 
them talking about marriage and her being like, well, where's my fucking ring? Right. Um, and then sh- they have a fight. Yeah. So it's not, you're not like, oh, right. this is a love for the ages, yeah. you know, exactly. as, as it was and before. It, it is a, it, it's a structure problem because like you want to get to the meat of the story as fast as possible. And like, Absolutely. you can't spend too much time, you know, too much, ex- nothing can kill a show like too much exposition. Um, totally. But f- to be honest, see for me, all I think all I would be happy with mm-hmm. is just, you know, Hermes being like, these guys are madly in love. Right. Like yeah. their their love was a love for that. You just need to say it. You just need to say it somewhere. Yeah. And I think that will just kind of clinch it. Yeah. Um, because like you say, and I think there's uh, an interview that Aeneas did where she was like, obviously, not everyone knows this myth. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- for those people, it probably would be quite you gotta, tricky. You gotta expose it a little bit. I mean, you could even totally. pl- play it up a little more, especially since we're diverging from the canonical myth. Like uh-huh. maybe. Eurydice and Orpheus's love is one for the ages, and Hades, who currently is in the doghouse in his mm-hmm. current relationship, and you know he's a mean person, doesn't like that, and so mm-hmm. you can play up his maliciousness in seducing Eurydice, and targeting her like if into... I can't be happy, no one else can. Yeah, I... like I right, think yeah. little little tweaks like that would yeah. go a long way towards beginning up the story while still yeah. maintaining a lot of the great same feelings. And I think uh, it's just that another bit that I find kind of tricky is that um, obviously when she goes down, you you don't really see the payoff that Hades got there and he just seems, well, I'm happy now, even though right. not, it's not like they're in love. Yeah, she doesn't have a good reason to go down and he doesn't have a good reason to want her there. Yeah, and they never really interact. But he... He doesn't really want her to leave for different reasons. Right. The same reasons in the original myth where it's like, yeah, people can't leave the underworld. You can't come back to life. That's messing with the order of things. Right. Um, so that's all still there, but there's no sense of, I brought you down here for a reason. Yeah. You get little you bits and leave? pieces in the abstract bit in like little songbird, like I could use a canary, like, but it doesn't pay off in no. a big way, so which it, I wanted it's, to. It's, I think so. I think it's either you need to you need to stop the kind of searching thing that he has at the end of, I want to say, Chant. Mm-hmm. It's hard to remember uh, the names of these songs, but that sounds good. Yeah, like... I think it's the Chant. Um, chant one. Where him and Persephone, yeah, it is, because they're having the argument. And he's like, well, if you don't want me, I'll go find someone else who does. Mm-hmm. Um, I think either just scrap that mm-hmm. um, or make more of it. Right. Because it's it's... It's, I don't know, it's just, it doesn't, you don't get well, the payoff there. The, the, the play between these two couples is, I think, what makes Town is one of the things that makes the, like, core story of Town interesting and fascinating and different from Definitely. the original myth. Um, yeah. And anything that can play that up just a bit more. I think so, yeah. Like, play it, yeah, play it, more interaction between them. Yeah. Um, because once he gets down there... Um, obviously, um, blah, 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 Eurydice has her moment of being like, what have I done? Uh, you know, and she starts to forget. Mm-hmm. But there's no, you know, you don't see much in the way of Eurydice interacting with, say, Persephone. Right. Um, yeah. Because they're obviously this, you know, they're yeah. mirrors of each other. Right. Um, so, I don't know, just just something. Yeah, I think that would be that would do well to bulk up the show. My fear for this show, Jimmy, is that it's going to be 
a show with wonderful music and a confusing plot and that yeah. the you know the the lowest common denominator audience that we expect in Broadway is going to get confused by the plot so much that they can't appreciate the songs um, yeah, which is is a big pity because like this is it is what we're doing. We're totally nitpicking. Like we're getting right, exactly the like here. Overall, it's um, fabulous. Absolutely. Um, so it's 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 tricky because you don't want to alienate people from what has what is some really interesting material. Right. that has a lot to yeah. say, and um, and not to say that you need to dumb down the whole thing. But no, Great Comet needed like the kindergarten recitation of all the characters at the beginning of the show, yep. you know, you're going to have to study up a little bit. Um, yeah. And I think that through the incarnations that you can see, Hades town is getting there and needs, you know, one more shove in a couple yep. places. Yep. Um, so I think I don't, I have a lot of faith. And th- to be honest though, if, if the music didn't hugely change and it went on now, it wouldn't be awful and it, it would still be, great because i still love it as it is i just think there are just little bits that that like tweaking and tuning yeah tweaking but what doesn't hamilton needs that yeah exactly i mean it started off broadway and then changed when it moved on broadway right so you know i mean we'll see i do want to talk about and maybe maybe there'll be a musical interlude here but the difference between setting and concept when it comes Mm -hmm. to this show yeah um this came up in a bunch of reviews as well um where some critics were really put off by the lack of established setting, um, especially some Canadian critics, um, which I found so fascinating because I'm not. um, And I don't think the setting is ambiguous, but I think it's an interesting discussion between setting and concept and whether the specifically like the 1920s, 1930s, you know, Southern America railroad line kind of workman's idea that mm-hmm. surrounds this show is mm-hmm. a setting for it where it takes mm-hmm. place or is a concept that surrounds the plot mm-hmm. that's happening. And I think the the differences between the two are subtle and important. And mm-hmm. like accepting it as a concept lets you kind of hand wave some of the needless details that should be there if it were instead a setting if that makes sense yeah i do i yeah but I don't, i'm trying to think what i what i think i don't know i just think it's a given i don't i don't question it because it's so it's not it's not a naturalistic story that we're telling here right so i don't, I don't know I, I i've never taken an issue with it and it was something that i was quite surprised that critics focused on mm-hmm. um and i wonder if they were just like <clears throat> going by the book and like yeah this was their setting set up song it was a bit confusing so therefore well bad criti- you know what i mean i wonder looking at the <clears throat> the theater workshop production versus the citadel production and the citadel mm. production certainly expanded a little bit and was in a bigger mm. space and i wonder if this is a difference in production design um and I it, do think that's where it comes If they're down building to. up more pieces of the set or there's actual railroad tracks on stage or the costumes change and those yeah. sorts of things, rightly so, because that's what a, you know anyone in the technical design aspects would do, are heading more towards setting territory. And that can confuse things when the plot is perhaps more firmly established in like concept territory. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. I think so. If if you're not really aware, um, the biggest difference between the New York Theatre Workshop production and the Citadel production in Canada, um, is that in New York Theatre it was very great comic esque. It was immersive. Mm-hmm. Um, the cast were running all around you. Uh, and it took place just completely in the rounds. Yeah. Um, and the costumes the, were contemporary, and there weren't a lot of set pieces. And yeah, and it was it was very stripped back. Um, whereas in Edmonton, it was much more of a production. Yeah, you had, you're on a cross arch, which is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think they kept the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and they added a bunch a more. There were turntables in the stage, more. and the costumes got a little more fantasiful yes or a little more concepty yeah you know what i mean a little more oh there's a tr- there's a reason behind that right yeah and that i wonder sense. how that you know how that rings and if there's some some incongruency there between the, the text and the design and i think this is actually something that it kind of annoys me mm-hmm. because it's this kind of upscaling right that broadway demands yes yeah right and for something, so say for something like Comet, mm-hmm. obviously it started off small and it rustic, but the thing that was fine with Comet was that it was a show about opulence. Right. Um, and so it, it made sense to scale it up and you could, you know, you could go wild with it. Yeah. Whereas this show is set in a wasteland. Yeah. So how do you scale up right. nothing? Well, and it, and it feels like the, you know, the, the truism that you have to scale up on Broadway is a limiting factor and that shows that do it well don't actually scale up like i think of the the current circle in the square um yeah uh, once Once on this island revival which is you know generally i might call bigger in some ways but is not Mm -hmm. bigger like cats is bigger you know like yeah they tried really hard to make things different and interesting and intimate but it is still a very personal individual production um yeah. and it feels like maybe the citadel production of hadestown went more to- for the sparkles and the big bangs i think so and i just don't know if it i just don't know if it needs it right um it, or just yeah no i just i just don't think it does well, i don't know, know if, maybe not whether it needs it but i don't know if it serves it i think that's yeah that's exactly. the dichotomy because it might yeah. need it to sell right yeah. What? Why do I want to go see this if they're not going to fly all over the room? I know, but it's just oh, it really frustrates me, Tommy. Because like, you look at something like Frozen, right? Yeah, it's just opened, and what is that? How much is that costing us? Like <sighs> four gazillion dollars? Or oh, something. in money. I thought you meant in like pieces of my soul, <laughs> emotion. Um, um. Oh, by the way, sidebar is not changed. I know. My friend Graham just went to see it. And I, it's the the, exact same. the wonderful YouTube comments. I've been combing through them, and it's all uh, the same. And it it's the exact same. Depresses me um, deeply. Anyway, yeah. another maybe so, when I get back to making videos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so uh, something that frozen like no one can compete with that, and it's a shame that people are being forced to compete with that. Right. Because to be honest, that isn't why I go to theater. Yeah. It almost puts me off. Like yeah. it, it literally kind of puts me off. Um. I go, I, I'm call me old fashioned. I go to theater for the theater. I sound like a wank, but like, that's but, what, that's what I want to go and see. I don't I, care about turnstiles. I think it is the worst, the, the worst travesty of the world that I think we will harp on until we die. But Great Comet proved that you can do it, 
right? Great Comet yes. proved that you can take this intimacy and intellectualism and high concept and art and translate into translate it into an accessible, opulent, big Broadway house that sells as long as you put put Josh Groban's face on the playbill, yep, and still stays true to the art. And I worry that Hades Town is going to get lost in the shuffle. I know, and that's the thing because if if this is the thing that makes it not fly off if this is the thing that people end up having a problem with yeah. i'll be so angry because they've just been backed into a corner yeah that they need to do this because the thing is is hades town would be perfect in circle in the square yeah it would be so perfect and it doesn't need much at all to do nope ah uh, it would just it would just be good just ah uh, it's i find it just really distressing because yeah the 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 signs aren't pointing to the fact that they'll go back to nytw style it looks like they're trying to grow they're trying to big bigify and and yeah no we're nervous for you hades town we have hopes for you but we're nervous for you hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus you'll have to take the long way down through the underground undercover at night Laying low, staying out of sight. There ain't no compass, brother. Ain't no map. Just a telephone wire and a railroad track. You keep on walking and don't look back till you get to the bottom land. Wait for me, I'm coming. Wait, I'm coming with you. Wait for me, I'm coming. Sticks is high and wide, cinder bricks and razor wire, walls of iron and concrete, hound dogs howling round the gate. Those dogs will lay down and play dead if you got the bones, if you got the bread. But if all you got your own two legs, you best be glad you got them. So the other thing I wanted to mention, and and it is interesting that you talked about uh, Rachel Chavkin mentioning that people don't know this myth as well. Yeah. Um, And I think it is a a fascinating um, story concept that shows up in musical theater a lot because we live in the world of adaptation, Mm -hmm. is the idea of a predetermined destiny musical. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the murder she wrote murder mystery versus the Columbo murder mystery again. Yeah. Um, it comes up all the time. But like, do you know how it ends? Yes. And is the audience along for the ride, or are they figuring it out as we go? Yeah. Um, and I think Greek mythology is built to be like these kind of destiny stories, like. The ending is determined before we start. Yeah. But what is lovely about this show is that it plays it up and capitalizes on it. And with the um, musical revisions from Concept Album, it uses it to turn it into a happy ending. Yeah. Um, and, like, we zoom out from the meta-theatricality of it all to talk about, like, what, what a journey to, like, 
tell this story that you know is going to be a tragedy again, Mm -hmm. thinking that this time it might turn out different. Um, I think Hermes has a line similar to that at the end of the show. Yeah. And it is it is beautiful in construct and beautiful in idea too. I it really gets me. Like it's one of those goosebump inducing moments at the end every time. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and it is. It's just it's just really it's so poignant. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, because it's it's kind of filled with this tragedy of like. I don't want to put him through that again, but we almost need those stories. Like, cause I feel like how many, how many films do we have that we would just watch, mm-hmm. even though they could be so sad or they have these moments, but we still go through that yeah. because you need that, that you need that journey. You need that emotional right. journey. I mean, that's, that's the plot of Pippin, like Absol- almost absolutely. to a T. Yeah, true. Um, and it is, there's something very um, human about it and like intentionally troubling about it, yeah. which I really, which, you know, tickles me in an interesting way um but i do wonder like that is a change that was made between concept album and exactly musical yeah this did the concept album right they give it a happy ending um and you know my my gut reaction out of context with that sort of thing would be negative but i really enjoy it in this show yeah i mean the thing is is so all of the adaptations of Orpheus, Orpheus and Eurydice and there's so many of them scattered across art um, but for mm. example the operas uh, have a happy ending mm. I can't yeah. remember which one it is I don't know if it's Orpheus or whether it is just Orpheus and Eurydice but mm. uh, one of them like the gods intervene and make it all right. better and stuff like yeah. that um, and there's also there's stories of the myth where um, Orpheus immediately dies after Eurydice disappears through the cave and they're reunited in Hades. Yes, exactly. And none that of, plays like, that sort of thing. None out. of that happens. So Orpheus's death is actually documented. Well, doc- mm. in the sense that you know the myths, uh, right? But um, yeah, and it, it links back to this idea that he may have been one of Dionysus's followers. But um, mm-hmm. the Mirads who were Dionysus's followers after um, Eurydice died. Uh, yeah. he hated their, as so it goes, that he hated their frivolity and he hated the fact that they would be, you know, making love with whoever they want. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Orpheus was like our first big champion of monogamy uh, in, Greek, <laughs> in Greek culture. And um, so he started to talk against Dionysus. And so the Mirads yeah. tore off his limb, tore him limb from limb uh, and threw his head in the river. Um, right. And that's that's the last you hear of him. You know, there yeah. isn't a, there is no ending. That's right. What you get. And so people really mess with this ending. And it does, it is interesting how then, now that like Hades is kind of humanized in this show mm-hmm. and how it changes how he looks like, um, him and Persephone have that conversation about um, you let them go. And it, At the end, like, yeah. I let, I let them try, yeah. which is not, that's, that's different, you know. Absolutely. That's not, um, well, I th- well, I don't know. What do you mean? So I think it's funny that you brought up Hercules at the beginning, yeah. um, because I think Western culture, um, Catholic culture, yeah. has kind of changed and bastardized what and who Hades is because they've superimposed him on the ideal of the devil. Yeah. Um, and Hades is not the devil. Absolutely Hades not. is the caretaker of the underworld yeah. um, and is certainly mischievous and certainly has, you know, he was correct me if i'm wrong banished there um so no so he like, actually wasn't 
Really? Like, okay. Guys, you've got that from Disney's Hercules. So that's Catholic propaganda. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Um, no. So the the reason that Hades is the ruler of the underworld, um, him, uh, his brothers Poseidon and Zeus, uh, mm-hmm. basically drew straws for uh-huh. who got to own which part of the world. Um, so Zeus mm. obviously got to own the earth and Mount Olympus. Um, Poseidon got the seas and Hades drew the short straw and got the underworld. Um, right. And it's, it's quite interesting because a lot of, uh, kind of through Greek mythology, um, Hades is a little bit bitter. Right. But all, it, you know, if you look through the story, it's just because this happened at the beginning. He was drawn the short straw. Right. It wasn't he, his fault. He is, not, he is not unjustified evil. Exactly. Um, exactly. It wasn't nor... Like, mm. Nor is the underworld hell. No. It's just where you go when you die. Um, exactly. So there's many different parts of the underworld. Um, yeah. We've got the the main one where most people go, um, where, for example, where Eurydice is. And I'd say where this takes place-ish, mm-hmm. I guess, um, would be the fields of Asphodel, which is just a, a wasteland mm-hmm. um, yeah. of shades. Uh, but then you have places like the Elysian Fields or the mm-hmm. Isles of the Blessed. Um, and the kind of thing that comes closest to our version of hell, um, but actually in Greek mythology isn't talked about hugely, um, uh-huh. is Tartarus, uh, mm-hmm. which is their place where the really, really bad people go. Yeah. But very rarely is someone really, really bad in yeah. Greek mythology. In Greek mythology, and so they're not sent there. Yeah. And so, and like, certainly we're seeing in Hades Town kind of a blending of these two, you know, the, the bastardized, disnified. Um, yeah. Hades is the devil kind of, you know, concept. I mean, you either get to hell or to Hades town. There ain't no difference anymore. Like it's in the lyrics. Yeah. Um, but you also then get to see these kind of humanizations of Hades, mm-hmm. which is, is cool and challenging and interesting. And like, you know, when you superimpose that on, um, the story of Hades and Persephone yeah. and like are we going to try you know it's the same every year they had this fight we're going to sing it again she's going to go up again and then she's going to come back down again and they're going to fight again but yep. you know what let's try it again because maybe this time it'll be different exactly. um, like that is that is cool and deep and interesting yeah. and a, a good like contemporary twist on this myth that pulls from a lot of its classical underpinnings, but very clearly sets it in and about some, you know, contemporary ideas. Absolutely. Um, It's quite, because, you know, Greek mythology doesn't often talk again about Hades and Persephone um, Uh after their initial stories being told. Um, Right. So here, I'm just going to, I said I was going to keep doing it. I'm just going to keep doing it. So (laughs) Persephone uh, is the daughter of Demeter. Um, mm-hmm. who was the goddess of the basically the earth and the, the harvest. Um, and uh, Hades basically kidnapped her um, mm-hmm. because he was in love with her, which is talked about right. in Epic 3, I think, um, mm-hmm. and took her down to the underworld. And then Demeter was really upset. And this is kind of, again, the explanation for why we have the seasons. Um, right. So she was very upset and kind of refused to tend to the earth because she was in search of her daughter. And the gods were like, we really, really need some crops on the earth because everyone's dying. Yeah. So if you want yeah. to get back to work. So they compromised um, with Hades uh, to get Persephone to come back. Um, but 
and this is where my pomegranate just comes in. She'd eaten the fruit <laughs> of the dead, uh, which ah. was the pomegranate. Naturally. I think she ate six pomegranate seeds. Um, and so Hades is like, well, sorry, there's nothing I can do. She's eaten the fruit mm. of the dead. She has to stay here. So they made a compromise whereby uh, she would go down for uh, like, well, six months in this show, but I think it was four months. Um, and then go back up into the world for the rest mm-hmm. of the year. And that's how we get the seasons. Yeah. And the song Living It, Living It Up. <laughs> exactly. That's how we get the song. That's what they really yeah. intended. Um, yeah. But yes, and, and all that to say, um, that story you hear all about. But what happens next? You don't. You just see people coming in and interacting with them. For example, Orpheus and Eurydice. Um, right. Orpheus came in, he charmed Persephone before he got, and she persu- she was the one that persuaded Hades. Um, yeah. And they very much have a relationship, but it's not a relationship that you hear about and it's an interesting right. thing to think about like oh well what happened next like how does how does this function yeah no it's it is so the way they, that these two couples are connected mm-hmm. in this story is beautiful i think it's really beautiful um and very point like there's a play um i don't know if you ever come across it there's one that we study mm-hmm. um it's called lovers um, I don't know that one. So it's by no. Brian Friel, who's an Irish mm-hmm. Irish playwright. Um, okay. And basically, mm-hmm. it looks at it's called Lovers, Winners, and Losers. Um, okay. Lovers colon Winners and Losers, uh, and it's two plays or two acts. Um, mm-hmm. The first one called Lovers, uh, uh-huh. sorry, called Winners. Oh my god, um, mm-hmm. is about two youngsters um, who are in uh, Catholic school. Uh, mm-hmm. She's fallen pregnant. Um, Mm -hmm. and so they're kind of working out how this is going to work and they end up dying you don't know whether they've killed themselves or whether they've just died you don't really know but they end up dead Um, Uh and then in the second act you've got Losers which sees a couple that could very much be these two um, Uh but 20 years down the line where they were kind of forced together um, through whatever means um yeah. and it just shows how they're just grating against each other and this yeah. idea of like even though they died they're still winners because they got out of this early right you know this future that could befall them absolutely yeah. and I, I just feel like it's really similar it's a really similar yeah. story to to what we've got here um yeah because the thing is like in that that little section right at the end um between persephone and hades about just that, well, we can just all we can just try. It's just so sad. It's really it's so, and sad. then to and then it it segues into wait for me, I'm coming home. Yep. Like, it's good. It's it's that it's that ending moment mm. of great comet contractually obligated, um, <laughs> where like if you've listened to the whole show all together all at once and you reach that moment, it is so much bigger yep. than that particular moment right there. Yep. And it's all there's almost this idea. I don't know that if they made it out then it maybe would have given Hades and Persephone a bit of hope that, you know, right. love wins. It's that idea. Yeah. Um, but they didn't, so they're like, oh, well, back yeah. to the drawing board. But like, Or does Orpheus, you know, love Eurydice so much that he can't help but turn around in that final moment because he can't get over his doubts about, you know, a future life without her? Exactly. Um, um, it's, it's, it's deep stuff. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's why. Uh, 
well done um and i think that's see because she's done that because she's taken mm. this really really strong conceit of, of comparing the two couples that's why i yeah. don't mind the differences right yeah because because it's a good story she's still telling oh, she's still telling a story she's using the myth to tell a story which i think is, is really great well and she did say this was i think from her press release about the initial concept album yeah um that she didn't write with the story first, that the, a bunch of the songs came first, mm-hmm. and then that led her to the myth yeah. and kind of crafting them around the myth. And I think that y- when you look at the final product through that lens, it rings very true. This Definitely. is not how do we adapt this myth into a concept album or a musical. Yep. It's um, she wrote some songs and then fit them around a story. Totally. Um, yeah. So I think now would be a great time to talk about that story, let's talk about the musical. Because <laughs> I've not really done that yet. Hey. Uh, that's going to be the subtitle for this podcast. Let's talk about <laughs> the, the musical. musical, and then we never do it. Where are you? Where are you now? And kills the lights. Doubt discussion point for us mm-hmm. and i'm interested to hear what the listeners also think about this to be honest um so one of the things that makes me love this musical mm-hmm. are the actors in mm-hmm. this musical okay what do you mean by that so what i mean by that is um damon i don't know how to say his last name i want to say dono that's probably Maybe. wrong. The guy playing the original Orpheus. Orpheus. Yeah, the yeah. guy playing Orpheus on the cast recording. Uh-huh. Um, B, I think her name it might be Bay. I don't know. I'm so sorry. I should have researched that. Um, the woman playing Eurydice on the cast recording. Patrick Page, Amber Gray, the fa- all mm. these people using their voices to tell their story. Um, mm-hmm. I think make this sensational yes. because. If I listened, if I only had the Aeneas Mitchell concept album with her and the guy from Bon Iver um, mm-hmm. and other people, or if I only had, they've not made it, but if they ever made a Reeve Carney uh, uh-huh. recording, I wouldn't like this show as much. Yeah, I agree. And I find that very, very interesting yeah. because... Well, I think even, let's, like, even just considering Patrick Page. Yeah. Because clearly he's one of the through lines through this thing. Yeah. His, oh, man. And I did a bunch of Patrick Page research, mm-hmm. which required a, watching a bunch of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark songs. I'm so dark, sorry dark for you. I'm so sorry. Oh, it is, it Why is such an interesting experience. Why didn't you just do Hunchback? That's much easier. <laughs> Yeah, but Spider-Man just seemed more contemporary mm-hmm. and, you know, a villain character. Um, I guess Hunchback yeah, is similar to anyway. It's okay. That's poor excuse. It wasn't on Broadway. Anyway, <laughs> sure. like, he is clearly cast in the show 
because of the idiosyncrasies of his voice. Everyone is. Um, like, it is clear that is a, you know, when, when the casting agents are going out, they're looking for people with, you know, the voice, yeah, whatever that may be. For sure. um, and the way to, like, craft their voice around these words. And I think this is a... Um, an underappreciated art form in contemporary musical theater, or maybe even just in musical theater. Uh-huh. Like we don't often appreciate the, have you, the, this is a thing they do in America where there are different places you can go and you can get the like misshapen produce <laughs> at the supermarket. Yeah. Like, you know, you can get the apples that don't look quite right yeah. or, you know, like, but have character to them. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And our, and the point is like, they're just as good. They still make a just as useful. Exactly. And I think not that any of these people are awful singers. Mm. They're wonderful singers, but they have unique and interesting characteristics about their voice. Mm-hmm. Um, that is so much more interesting than, the traditional Jonas Brothers sound. Yeah. Like, or they're just the traditional is still trained. I've been to Juilliard and I can say right. like that yeah. style. Like it's, yeah, it, it's so, yeah. Like you say, it's very idiosyncratic. And mm-hmm. obviously like, this is a thing, this is a thing with Broadway in any cast recording, you will get right. that moment of you, the originals or yeah. you originated a moment. Um, that we have picked you to be in this cast recording. Um, yeah. But if you think of something like Wicked, for example, um, right. you know, I know that Idina Menzel isn't my favorite alphabet. Right. You know? It, but like, mm-hmm. it, there's not, I think it almost feels like there's three different levels to it, mm-hmm. right? Of characters on Broadway. Yeah. Someone like Alphaba, yep. where sing the songs as good as you can. Yep. And Alphaba just sounds like a person. Then you have something like, oh, anything from Guys and Dolls to SpongeBob, mm-hmm. where there's a character voice to it. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, where you are intentionally putting on a, per- like, it's a choice. You know, when, when Nathan Lane sings in Guys and Dolls, he still is adjusting his voice to be um, uh, Nathan Detroit. Yeah. Um, where and he sounds different than he does in the producers yeah. a little bit, but I do think Nathan Lane also often fits into this third category of people whose interesting voices become the character. Mm-hmm. You know, Max Bialystok is interesting because Nathan Lane sings him. Yeah, Nathan Lane isn't out there recording cabaret solo albums. Yeah, because people want to listen to the greatest hits of Nathan Lane. Yeah. Um, you know, I think some people have capitalized on this, like maybe like Liza Minnelli, um, but not someone perhaps like Patti Lapone mm-hmm. or maybe even like Bernadette Peters. Mm-hmm. I think she's right on the border there. Um, but like you, you have a unique voice and that's able to shine through in this media. Mm-hmm. Um, I think folk and Broadway have that in common yeah. or folk and musical theater have that in common. Like you can have a unique voice and use it. I don't know. But I just think what what my worry is, is like, so I've heard Reeve Carney singing a bit of this show. Yeah. And I'm not interested. And no. to be honest, it's not that I don't like Reeve Carney. I actually think right. he's a really good singer. Um, but for me, I'm like, oh, he's not Damon. And that, I think, is really challenging. Because yeah. you then almost have this responsibility to to find someone and if you right. you know what I mean if you're a casting director you need to find someone that 
kind of captures that voice in, in a really similar way. Um, because yeah. who who is going to play this other than Patrick Page? Right, exactly. Like, that's the problem. Do you know what I mean? Um, we, don't, no we don't have many bases on Broadway, especially right. any that are as characteristic as someone like yeah. Patrick Page. Um, right. And that's going to be something that they're really going to have to be careful of. Um, yeah. So if you take someone like Lucas Steele, right? Uh-huh. Iconic voice. Absolutely iconic. Yeah. But uh, his understudy, can't remember his name, really, really bad. I might just record it and slice it in later. Um, his understudy, equally great. Yeah. So I, I maybe I don't even know what my point is here, but it's just that it's what they've done. They've just basically everything's kind of come together and it's beautiful and kind of perfect. Right. And it probably will never be as good as it was in the New York Theatre Workshop. Yeah. Unless they find someone that can do what Damon can do or mm-hmm. better, can do what Patrick can do or better. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be a big challenge. But for me, someone like Reeve Carney, he doesn't cut it. It's not yeah. you don't you don't fall in love with the character the same way you don't go on the journey the same way. Yeah, it's it's like making a band. Um, you have to all the pieces have to fit in an interesting way. Yeah. And it's really difficult to swap out one person with another. Yep. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's tricky. It's tricky, and like because I can hear me listening to this cast recording for the rest of the time. I'd be happy to mm-hmm. do that because it the voices in it are so beautiful. Um, yeah. If they release another one, I wouldn't listen to it. I mean, that's the thing is I just wouldn't, I wouldn't listen to it. Yeah. Um, you're already, you're already sold. sold. I mean, I wonder if that plays, if that harkens back to our talk about the journey, like this has been simmering for so long. Yeah. I hope it hasn't simmered out already. I know that's that. Like it's, it's risky, risky. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, I said, we we're going to talk about the musical and we've yet to, yet to do that still. Can I can I talk about some lyric things that are very clearly ingrained in this musical? Yes, please do because I'm ready to. I'm ready to too. I'm, I'm ready. I was filling up my sleeves, but I realized ah, that yes. doesn't uh... useful for our audio medium yeah. of a podcast. Jimmy pulled up his sleeves. He's <laughs> Anais Mitchell does this thing with repetition in lyrics mm-hmm. that is so cool. Mm-hmm where on its surface it appears to be just a pure repetition, which exists, like, that's a musical strategy all the time. Say it again to reinforce it. But because of the way some of the words are truncated or changed, it changes or adapts the meaning of the lyric. Yep. Um, like, if you want to keep your head, oh, you got to keep your head low. Yep. Right? Which the, both halves of that phrase have a different meaning yeah. or um this one and i wondered i i am convincing myself that this is one but i don't know if it is mm-hmm. what you're gonna do when the chips are down now that the chips are down i know exactly what you mean right it's sung it sounds like uh you know i'm going back and correcting the phrase i said you know what you're gonna do when the chips are down? No, 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 no. Now that the chips are down, yeah, it's just like but, I'm gonna repeat. Chips are down. Chips are down. Right. Yeah. But at a at a closer reading, the question like what what was your plan? What was your plan for when everything's on the line? Yep. Now that everything's on the line. Yeah. And does that change it now that it's real? Like the there's a real complex meaning implied in there that is so difficult to 
even explain that mm-hmm. it's hard to make it exist outside of the words themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite, living it, living it up, living it up on top, because it's a triple version, mm-hmm. right? We're in exposition land of the show, so we're talking about a whole bunch of different things. The big one, living it up on top, we're having a great time on the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also living it up. We're having a great time. Or are we living it up on top? Because then they also use up on top. We've got like every section of this phrase is used to different meanings. Exactly. And then even just the beginning, living it because pretty soon Eurydice will no longer be living it mm-hmm. because she will be dead. Um, and there's like some real deep foreshadowing going on yeah. there. But... Taken on surface value, it sounds like the Macarena. You know, yeah. like we're repeating, repeating the word, and that's all it means. Um, exactly. Because I, I, I think love what this. she's done here is, you know, the this idea of, like, for example, in some of like chant, um, mm-hmm. where it almost harkens back to, um, you know, slave music, where yeah. it's this uh, soulful. Um, this repetition. Chant. Yeah, this repetition. Hymn. Easy, easy yeah. to pick up, easy to pass on. Um, yeah. she's kind of taken that and really put in an artistic tinge into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's so smart. Like you, this is, this yeah. is, again, we're talking about outsiders. This is what outsiders need to do because, right. you know, we really value the lyric on Broadway it, as, as much yes. as a musical, as much as a um, storytelling thing, as well as mm-hmm. an artistic thing. Um, yeah. And there's, do you know what? There's some really good rhymes as well that I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, just specifically yeah. in um, Chant 2. Um, uh-huh. So it's when Hades is going on about women um, and uh-huh. how to uh, keep women. Um, so he, oh, it's so good. <laughs> uh, he, the line is, shackle her from wrist to wrist with sterling silver bracelets. Um, and it's a half rhyme. Absolutely yeah. fine. We love half rhyme. But just the wrist to wrist bracelets and it's just picking up on that syllabic yeah. thing is great. He does it again in the next line. Filler pockets full of stones, precious ones, diamonds. And again, half rhyme, but yeah. one uh it's just it's just great. Full of stones, diamonds, wrist to wrist bracelets. Like it's so smart. It's, it's really, so really good. good. I also think it is it is so delicate and it is so difficult to find the ones that work because I really struggle with um did you think I'd be impressed with this neon necropolis? Yeah, uh-huh. That one bothers me a lot yes. because it's the wrong accent on metropolis. Like it reads as forced. Yeah. Um and I think is a is a a good example of like uh-huh. and I think that's one poor example in a basket of a thousand. Yeah, well, just e- even um, earlier on in chat, you've just got some really simple, like, now you know how it feels. Women are as slick as eels. Yeah. And you're like, that's very easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I but it's, it's I, I effortless know. and it's not, it's not predictable in a way that I think a lot of musical theater rhyming exactly. is. Exactly. Where you know, like, three lines before, oh, love. They're going to end in love. Mm-hmm. I, it's something, mm-hmm. something, love. Jimmy has um, a point that he meant to make earlier and he didn't um uh-huh. exactly what we're talking about in road to hell in the opening um when we were talking about foreshadowing and you know yes. how much of this is in the story the very last line of um thing is a love song it's a tale of love that never dies it's a love someone about someone who tries, tries. Now, i think yeah. the thing because they, they really make a point of it i think in your head you're expecting uh-huh. the easy broadway rhyme of oh they're just going to repeat dies right 
but no but they go to tries tries yeah. and then you're like interesting okay that I'm whole stanza you. is beautiful and is a perfect like reprise like um it's a it's an old it's a sad song it's a tragedy yeah and just the way you can recraft that same paragraph with different intentions absolutely um when i write my musical recraft that same paragraph is going to be my internal rhyme um, <laughs> well done beautiful but also just like you have to take your hat off her because she is rhyming persephone she is rhyming eurydice like yeah. there's some tricky names in here guys orpheus yeah. you know this is tricky work and she's doing it oh it's it is beautiful and it, it is like this is the good work of the show this is this is the gem that shines in oh, the middle of it absolutely and to make sure the rest of the show supports this work, this is that that is the key. And this is this is what I mean about this. I couldn't give a rat's ass. I really couldn't give mm. a rat's ass if Reeve Carney is spinning round on a revolve. Like I really don't care. What I want right. to hear is this. I don't want to be distracted. Yeah. yeah. No, this is a show that could survive. You know, in in the middle of a parking lot. Like absolutely, and, it, and, it and might survive even in the middle of a parking lot. Might even do better in the middle of a parking lot, I or you know, in a tent in the meatpacking district. Yes. Like, but that's the that this is oh, this is the crux of it. And I'm trying to. I've Jimmy and I have talked off mic about this sort yeah. of thing, but it's the it's a concept that I'm really struggling to articulate well. But because Broadway and by attachment musical theater is kind of a zero sum game yeah. there are only so many buildings you can do shows in mm-hmm. it gets really complicated when there's like a price to entry for these things that involves confetti cannons yes um and you know it bothers us in a deep deep way totally because it's just unfair um yeah it, it, and it's it's mirroring itself in the well, I, I was about to say the real world obviously probably zero but as in, you know, the the down belows because Broadway is the pinnacle. You know, I feel like <laughs> of course. I feel like the West End. We've already lost the West End. Um, yeah, it's just now it's a tourist trap, and that's all it's yeah. going to be. We're never going to get mm. back from that, I don't think. Yeah. Um, well, but then you go up to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Let's just mm-hmm. look at that one word, fringe, um, uh-huh. where you're supposed to have fringe theatre, and yet you've uh-huh. got touring companies coming in from the West End coming up to doing right. shows in the the French and it's just not fair anymore one of the and i wish i could remember which one it was but one of the like academic articles i read on this very topic yeah um talked very specifically about are we going to need to look to the regional theaters for our good work and i think we're very much seeing that dear evan hansen be more chill hades town yes are doing their workshops and their art making out of town and in a way that's different than like an out of town tryout. Yeah. It's not like we're fixing it to get there. I think we're right on the border in we're in a gray area, yeah. but it's like we're doing it here to see how it is. Totally. Not like I mean we're prepping to go to Broadway. Hamilton. Yeah. Like, I don't doubt Lin-Manuel, you know, expected, I've just killed it with in the Heights, I'm going to do well with this one, but it had a life in the public, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It really had a life there. Yeah, and, it and might have been thing. done. Yeah. You know, all of these shows might have been like, and that's that's as far as it goes. Uh-huh. And the thing is, is like, that's, that's fine, everyone. Like, that's right. really okay, because it existed in that moment, that's what theatre is. Um, yeah. But it's a shame that these good pieces of theater don't have a home in what is supposed to be the hub and center yeah. of musical theater, or just, Broadway theater. It's, it's not even that they don't have a home. It's that they can't get a look in. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. They can't. They can't reach a mass market. They can't uh, get to be popular because they don't right. have enough money. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. Not what it's yeah. about, everyone. Like. <laughs> but maybe, maybe I mean, it's it's the canary in the coal mine. But maybe we're seeing a change with something like Great Comet. Yeah. Like up up from nothing and performed on the Tonys. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, to be honest, though, I think where we could see a shift is if we look at something like Be More Chill. Um, yeah. Because it, out of nowhere, it's gained yeah. a life. Like, yeah. nowhere. Um, yeah. Whereas so many youngsters nowadays know exactly what that is. People are singing Michael in the Bathroom right. all over the shop. Yeah. And yeah. that show has barely existed. Yeah. So No, it's, it, it's a welcome change because for a while people's favorite broadway shows i'm sorry were phantom and cats yep. and lion king and yep. mary poppins and like when not to say anything specifically against these shows <laughs> but it starts to adapt and morph your idea of what broadway theater is mm. and knowing that broadway theater or musical theater can be so many other things yeah is eye-opening and wonderful and doesn't mean that it can't be wicked or frozen yeah but it should be other things too exactly get off my sofa i know exactly (laughs) why do we build the wall my children my children why do we build the wall children how does the wall keep us free Well, no, we did. We did start to talk a little bit uh, about the artistry that Aeneas has created there, yeah. and I do just want to get into that a bit more, just in terms of what the show is actually talking about. Because, um, mm-hmm. like we said, obviously it's it's this myth, but she's taking this myth and she's telling a story with it. Um, yeah, and I think it's really, really beautiful the kind of ideas that she's talking about obviously we've talked about the relationships comparison but um this kind of more macrocosmal to use a really cool Mm -hmm. word um idea of uh unity um and togetherness and how important Mm -hmm. that is um and how when we don't have that it's that united we stand divided we fall mentality right um and how when we don't have that things go wrong um Mm -hmm. And it's just peppered through the whole show just so yeah. well. Um, yeah. 
you know, songs like Why We Build the Wall. Yeah. This idea of Hades trying to bring people together for a cause. Um, right. It it almost makes me... Because every, every review mentions this, that the song Why We Build the Wall yeah. was written long before the most recent United States presidential mm-hmm. election, mm-hmm. Um, and that it is pure coincidence that explicitly this became kind of a political commentary mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me a little sad that it became so overt because the song has the same commentary whether or not it is related to Donald Trump wanting to build a wall exactly. on the southern border of the United States. And making it more hidden, I think, makes it more like delightfully insidious. Yeah. Um, whereas like... It, now you hear the song or you read the title in the playbill uh, and you're like, oh, yes, I understand. This, this one's based is. on Trump. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you don't challenge yourself to analyze it. And think about, like, Hades is, is trying really hard to do a good thing for these people. But that's exactly it, is that what yeah. I would say this song does better than a lot of other arguments are happening in the real world. Um, <laughs> is it showing both sides? Is it showing the other side? Is it showing this idea of, like, if we can keep ourselves together, if I'm giving you this purpose, um, it right. might not necessarily be right, but it's working. Yeah. If we have a them in the us and them defense, then suddenly we can be, you not, you know, it's the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Exactly. Um, or whatever that is. Um, <laughs> is that exact phrase? I'm glad I said yeah. that. Uh, um, but it, you know what I mean? And it's, it, it provides a discussion. It really, yeah. really does. And it's, yeah, like you say, it's a shame that it's... That it has become so overt because it would be more fun if it was like, oh... I know. You know? And it's what I find so interesting as well is that this is a construction completely by Aeneas herself. This isn't in the myth. Yeah. There's no there's no story of Hades building a big old wall. Like... No. It's really interesting. It's really, really Yeah, it is. The whole... The, like, a lot of the consumerism, manufacturerism, like greed and capitalism yeah. um underpinnings of the show yeah. which are not you know the, the, the are not in the greek myth at all no. um are really interesting to think about and see like the allusions to um keeping the rust belt rolling yeah. in um that and like this is not an explicit political commentary nope. at best the politics of this comes maybe third or fourth tier yeah. to some of the other plot points of it totally. um but it reads really clearly and strongly and um not in a it is not condescending it is not you know as you said it showcases both sides exactly this this show doesn't take a stance nope. on any of it especially humanizing hades especially you know, kind of giving everyone their due and their say. Totally. Um, everyone cool. everyone kind of has an equal platform. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And waivers on their decisions. Yeah. Um, you know, no one is sure that they made the right decision in this show. Just like, you know, human beings. Um, yep. Which is, it's it's hard to do. It's good and it's hard to do. It's hard to make three-dimensional characters especially based on you know like i adore greek myths too but especially based on what is mostly a a two-dimensional or one-dimensional character archetype absolutely Uh, Absolutely. like greek myths all the time like you are the good guy um or you know you have one motivation and Uh not these people no yeah it's um again that's probably the last thing i say about greek myths i've 
um, make no promises. Uh-huh, um, sure. <laughs> but, you know, for example, that's the thing is it, Greek mythology kind of does have this level playing field because, you know, someone like Zeus, who is their, their king, he is the king of the gods. He is the one that you make sure you're right. not angering. You do not want to piss right. off Zeus um, yeah. because he'll come and he will do bad to you. But he also did bad himself. You know, you would kidnap women. He would rape people. You know, yeah. he would do all this stuff um hades did it as well poseidon did it like yeah it's it's all everyone out there is is kind of yeah bad, but everyone also is good they do just people are human yeah and that's just the way that mythology is the uh, the greek mythology is is played out you know it's like you say it's us and our kind of catholic shaping mm-hmm. that we have this mm-hmm. good and evil dichotomy that we need to have everywhere actually right. th- that's just something that we've grown accustomed to right it doesn't need to well, be that a, way it's a it's a simplification it is easier for us to create these black and white yeah. situations yeah. than it is for us to actually imagine that the person on the other end of the internet might be multi-dimensional exactly exactly because would you say i mean would you say that hades is a villain in this show no, I think Hades is one of the more interesting characters in the show. Yeah. I think Hades is more interesting than Orpheus in this show. Yeah. Orpheus is pretty one-directional and one-dimensional and a little stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, well, see, this you know, right, I, so that's really interesting. I want to just yeah. jump on that because I think <laughs> that's certainly, that's how Hades feels about Orpheus, I would say. It's yeah. just like, you're so rosy. You're really, really rosy right now. Um, yeah you it's that kind of like um sweeney todd singing to tobias you you will learn you know what i mean it's got uh, that vibe um right but actually the thing that orpheus is presenting um and it gets talked about in a final song that's not on the the cast album um mm-hmm. where uh persephone kind of raises a glass to orpheus and being like you know we talk a lot about lauding the people who sing about the good stuff and Mm-hmm. those happy times and focusing on the happy times but actually the people we need to be lauding are the people who just sing forever um mm-hmm. no matter what um yeah. and it's that idea that orpheus you know he he wins over eurydice by showing her this world that they could have together that's really beautiful and optimistic and idealistic through his art oh. um and how that is important um and so i think that layering of yeah. having orpheus as this character who it shows the world that yeah there there is you know i mean there is really there's deep beauty in this art and it can get us through a lot and if we focus on the right things it will do as well yeah and it's something that hades i feel is now very far it's removed like, to really let that in it's why right. it's why he's able to win over hades because he reminds yes. him of their initial you know his initial love of persephone Right, but, and Hades was only a man, and exactly, yeah. you know. But it doesn't get so deep into him that it will change Hades completely. Do you know what I mean? Right. He still he gives him the option, he gives him the way out. But and yeah. that's that's what I was meaning earlier about him being like maybe if they make it, maybe and maybe if they did yeah. make it, he would be like, okay, wow, yeah. But it doesn't happen. Yeah. So you get this idea that everything just goes back. Yeah, I think you've convinced me on Orpheus. I had a different opinion. Yeah. Until. It's, yeah. Do you know what but it's, it's kind of similar to, weirdly enough? Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. It's Blondel. <laughs> <laughs> to bring that fabulous piece back, by the way. Um, but it kind of, not not in nearly as a strong artistic way as I think Hades does. Right. But this idea of, you have this idealistic balladeer, yeah. you know, yeah. who 
is so passionate about music and art and storytelling um and everyone else is being like come on mate but he's like well but actually it's quite a nice right. thing it's isn't Im- it it's important to think about it totally yeah so yeah there you go that's yeah. that's my views and I, I i don't know i'm just fully in love with damon whatever his last name is because his voice has changed my life like it's just i can't you know it's the, it's the time like i'll be sitting and i'll be like I, mm-hmm. I just need to listen to that like and i'll just yeah put it on um yeah so that's that's why i'm so uh, so i'm an orphe stan i'm an orphe <laughs> an orphite oh god i think you're gonna hate when that catches on i think that is actually a thing though that is means something completely different <laughs> probably means something awful i think it actually does uh, um i actually also think it's related to persephone but that's another story never mind anyway <laughs> um i think the most important part of this story or the part that shines to me mm-hmm. is orpheus's journey back up with mm-hmm. persephone behind it like that is the climax oh, of the story. Totally. If we're talking about classical story construction yeah. which greek myth absolutely Hello. um yeah. and so doubt comes in becomes a really important song um, and at least from what I can glean about how the staging works is like y- you see Eurydice or she's in shadow, mm-hmm. the fates sing, everyone sings in this song. Yeah. Orpheus and Eurydice sing. And then um, Orpheus looks back um, and Hermes is like, oh, oh, you did it, man. And then he walks Eurydice back, back to Hades. Yeah. Um, and it's very overt and staged and you see it um at least based on my assumptions of this um and partially based on the fact that orpheus sings during doubt comes in Mm -hmm. and i don't like that Mm -hmm. um i want this to be the most delicately lit moment in the whole show Mm. where it goes so dark that you the audience member are not sure if Eurydice is there Mm -hmm. that like, you know, all you see is Orpheus and you hear the fates in the background singing the thoughts in Orpheus's mind about doubt coming in. And is she there? And could she still be there? And man, this is a long road to walk, but I can't, and like, you know, bring it re like really, really build to that moment Mm -hmm. where he turns around and the light comes back up on her exactly where you expected her to be, but only for a second Mm -hmm. before she's gone. Yeah. And I don't want to see her like, Oh, we got to walk you back. Like I want a magic trick. I want her to like disappear into a pile of dust um, and to make it. And then we never see her again. Like she's gone. Yeah. Um, until maybe raise a cup. Um, like, yeah, because it's it's a, it was a strange because I remember listening to it the first time and when they have the gasp moment, um, yeah, it's it is a shame because you're like, oh, and and sorry, I'm not saying anything right. When you have that gasp moment, um, in my head, that's exactly what happened. Is there was like a flash and then she was gone, um, yeah, because that's what happens in the myth. She right. turns around, she, she goes just... in a puff of smoke, and she's gone forever. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does take something away, I guess, when he's walking her back. But apparently, I mean, well, according to Rachel Chapman, anyway, um, the the audiences did react because they, they know uh-huh. what's happening. They're they're along for the ride. So when he does right. it, they're like, "Fuck no! What you yeah. idiot? She's right yeah. there." So right, almost. Do you need to? Did the audience need to be like, "This is great. This is so right. great," and then yeah. he doubts himself, and they're yeah. like, "What is she? Is she?" 
she's right yeah. there why why would you yeah. doubt do you not need to have that moment of frustration to have that moment yeah i think if you have the ambiguity then yeah maybe yeah. the audience I mean, wouldn't be able to do you know what i mean this is it's the discussion of um you know are we are we a brechtian theater or are yeah. we a naturalistic yeah. theater like should are we in this moment orpheus or are we in this moment an audience observing orpheus's journey yeah. and i think i want personally to be orpheus in okay. that moment because i maybe perhaps related to my initial thoughts that orpheus is one dimensional which have since been revised yeah. um but i think something about that inspires this that like watching Orpheus, like being Orpheus, having this fatal flaw, having the doubt yourself mm-hmm. is, I find that more powerful than the traded experience of watching Orpheus mess, mm-hmm. or, <laughs> Orpheus mess up. Yeah. I do know that's it. But I think it is, it's like you say, we're in different, we're in different camps. Cause I always go for the Brechtian yeah. approach. Like I think, I right. think that immersive staging is perfect. And I would have that for every yes. single show I ever want. Like, cause oh, it's yeah. just, to me, that's how I like, because I like, but I'm a performer, do you know what I mean? And right. I love to be a part of these things. So right. for me, I'm just like, yes. The right. Best. Yeah. You're already, you're all by default in it. Yeah, for um, sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I think, like you say, I think it is totally two different ways. And right. uh, besides the fact that obviously it's in the stage directions that Hades, uh, Hermes leads her back. Uh, right. I feel like you could interpret it differently and you, you know, directors yeah. come could do something yeah. with that yeah well part of me also feels like this is a, a two birds one stone moment mm. like um because you can't that can, if that's gonna if this is gonna be the most important part of the show it can't be your only magic trick yeah um if or your only illusion yeah, if that yeah, makes yeah, sense sure. um it can't be the only time you use some you know smoke and mirrors literally to accomplish something on stage so you would have to somehow preempt that whether Hades has you know and you can do it in stupid ways whether like Hades magically levitates to something to himself at some point yeah. or you like give them a little more power there or here and there throughout the thing and I think that's a way in to justifiably bigify this show yeah. in a way that supports it um, a, a little sprinkle of stage illusion here and there to make the gods a little more godly uh-huh. um c- could go a long way yeah. not a lot not you know nothing nothing too impressive really i think nothing that except for maybe the last moment that people would talk about outside yeah. the show like it doesn't have to be a lot but then can really make that last moment like pull you totally in to that moment i know but see this is it's you're right you you, you, sh- you should have said it because it, it is the two different camps it's the stan and the brecht because yeah. I'm like, I don't want to go away talking about the moment she disappeared. I want to go away being like, the themes, the message. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Rather be like, yeah. oh, the story, yeah. the anguish. Um, yeah. And that is that's that is just two two different theater camps. Yeah, that's true. It's in, it's interest. It will be interesting to see how it's balanced. Imagine going to a summer and it's like a summer camp about Brecht. Oh, imagine watching other people go to a summer camp about Brecht. <laughs> Do you mean let's write a musical about that? Because I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Oh dream. man, it's deep, deep theater analysis jokes. <laughs> oh my god, actually, that's so deep. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> uh, break jokes, aren't we wankers? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we are. Also, it's not our first break joke as well. Oh, oh it won't be the last either. Absolutely, that's for sure. I support it. Anyway. Mm-hmm.
but yes, so there there are my thoughts. I think it's oops, uh, the the layering of artistry and storytelling and themes in this what yes. was a concept album is really yeah. great. Um, so all the best. Yeah, let's hope they make it. At least they tried. <sighs> Don't look back. <laughs> Don't look back. Exactly. Oh my god, the layers. <laughs> Here's the thing, to know how it ends, and still to begin to sing it again, as if it might turn out this time. I learned that from a friend of mine. See, Orpheus was a poor boy. But he had a gift to give. He could make you see how the world could be in spite of the way that it is. Can you see it? Can you hear it? Can you feel it like a train? Is it coming? Is it coming this way? On a sunny day there was a railroad car. And a lady stepping off a train Everybody looked and everybody saw That spring had come again With a love song With a love song With a tale of a love that never dies With a love song With a love song For anyone that was Hades Town. It was. Might be coming to Broadway in the fall. That's what the rumor mill says. Yep. They're waiting for a theater to open, maybe, or I, something. I honestly, I'm calling it now. Circling the yeah. square. Once on this island. Be, post post twenties. That wouldn't be too bad an idea. And it pops. But I don't know because who expected what was going to happen with Comet, and I think people are going to try and tar them with a lot of the same brush. Mm-hmm. So, so we, we, we shall see. Anyway, you have a quiz question for us, don't you? I do. Here it is in my pocket. Okay, so <laughs> our next musical is perhaps one of the only musicals with key lyrical changes that were driven by a post-divorce legal agreement. Ooh, Police. gossipy! Yeah, spilling that tea. <laughs> Speaking of tea, uh, if you want to get in contact with me, tea, um, I'm Musical Mash on Twitter and Musical Theater Mash on YouTube, and I am Azad Hendricks on Twitter and YouTube. And if you would like to speak to us both, you can contact the show Twitter at Jim and Tomic. Or our show website, jimandtomic.com, which has show notes and a link to the Reddit discussion where you can chat with us. Exactly. Um, Now that we're very firmly back, be sure to tell all of your friends all about us so we can all join in the fun. And the sorrow. Aw, because we're balanced. Um, (laughs) Excellent. See you next week. Bye-bye.
go. It's always so satisfying. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.